Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for listening to our first podcast of Eat the 80s, all 80s, all the time. I'm Lake Green, joined by Eduardo Garibaldi, and we are happy to bring you a discussion-based version of our show. Ed, how are you feeling today? I'm actually doing great, Lake. I'm so glad to be here to talk about the greatest decade. I'm with you, Ed. The 80s are truly the best, one of my personal favorites, uh, just music all around the board, so so diverse. You have blues, you have pop, you have metal, you have new wave, you have soft yeah. rock, you have all of it. You have uh, hip-hop, the early hip-hop, you have everything in the decade. So it's time to discuss the formatting of our show. Since we're actually not going to be playing any music on this podcast, we're going to be talking all about just you know, just discussing the greatest decade, the albums, the artists surrounding it, uh, and, and in it. To begin, I'll uh, be highlighting the greatest bands from the genre of metal. It's no secret if you uh, listen to Rock Show that I'm a major metalhead. Uh, and you should. You should. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for, yeah, so for, about, for people who haven't, Rock Show is SFC's spot for rock. Uh, we are on air on the, on the online radio internet streaming service of the station. Uh, we are on air every Thursday from 4.30 to 5.30, uh, and we play... You know, rock and roll from the 1950s through 2022. So we have such a diverse uh, range of music that we play, all rock themed. But uh, anyway, if you've listened to the show for the past three years plus, you would know uh, pretty obviously that I am the the metalhead on the show. So we're going to be talking all about uh, heavy metal in the 80s on this episode. It's no secret that metal dominated the 80s for most of the first half of the decade. Uh, I guess, you know, we're going to talk really quick about a, f- a few of my favorites here. Uh, just to give you a brief intro to a few of the guys I'll be discussing, uh, we're going to highlight, of course, Ronnie James Dio, the late, great Ronnie James Dio. Uh, and you can't say 80s without Ozzy Osbourne and Ozzy Solo, of course. Uh, you know, he did bite the head off a bat uh, and do amongst a whole lot of other things in the decade. He also uh, took a whiz on the Alamo and got arrested in Texas. So he's a crazy, crazy, crazy man. Uh, and then you have Rat, uh, the band, in my opinion, that really uh, was the epitome of hair metal, glam metal of the genre. And then, of course, you have the mighty Van Halen, the ultimate party band of the decade. Ed, just uh, initial thoughts about any of them? And do you have any thoughts about Dio, Ozzy, Rat, or Van Halen? Any experience, any exposure? Well, to be honest, I'm actually uh, new to this stuff, so I'm ready to listen. I'm uh, with all of our listeners ready to listen to you. Like, I actually have some experience with Van Halen. Actually, Eat the 80s has some experience with Van Halen. We played uh, uh, Jump. It was actually, I think, the first songs that we ever played in the show. That's so right. It has a spot in our hearts, and we are ready to listen, Lake. <laughs> you have awesome. the floor. Excellent. So, yeah, we're going to start with Van Halen. Uh, of course, Eddie Van Halen is the... The uh, infamous lead guitarist, one of the best of all time. He recently passed away. I think it was last year. Uh, so we say rest in peace. Might yeah. even be 2020. I mean, it was. We he was sick for a while, but he did die young. He wasn't even in his 60s yet, so it was very sad. Uh, in 1978, the band hit the scene, uh, and on February 10th, 1978, Van Halen One was released. Uh, the album peaked at number 19 on the Billboard 200, and it sold. Uh, and it has sold over 10 million copies in the U.S., receiving diamond certification. Now, anybody who knows uh, metal or the status of heavy, heavy metal in terms of the late 70s, it was the genre that was kind of petering out. Rock and roll really dominated the 70s. You know, the 60s, you know, was really when you know the counterculture movement occurred and, and drastic changes in music 
uh, really occurred across the Western world, United States and in Europe. Uh, but really the two main countries that really, uh, you know, drove the growth of rock and roll were, of course, the United States and uh, United Kingdom, Great Britain. Uh, and by the late 70s, after rock and roll had dominated not only, uh, you know, uh, the genres of heavy metal as it, as it was, you know, rose with Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple in the early 70s, late 60s and other genres, but also, you know, just the mainstream pop. You know, rock and roll was truly it for most of the 70s. Yeah, you had disco, but... I mean, truly, I mean, rock and roll was just the commanding force of the decade. But by the by, the early '80s, that was starting to change. Uh, but and heavy metal in particular, uh, you know, the hard rock that was, you know, I, I know, emblematic of the '70s, was kind of kind of starting to peter out. And that's when Van Halen came on the scene, and their sound, uh, you know, was truly unrivaled. You know, uh, many people have coined them the ultimate party band. I totally agree with that statement. If you're looking for a rock and roll band to play at a party in the backyard or whatever, uh, you know, getting down with it, <laughs> Van Halen is the best. Um, so Van Halen 1 was their iconic album that, you know, really put them on the map. A song like Running With The Devil, uh, Jamie's Crying, and then, of course, uh, the crazy uh, famous guitar solo in Eruption, the one-minute-plus piece uh, that Eddie Van Halen, uh, you know, just shock the world with and just a fun fact whenever he would perform live on stage he would turn his back to the crowd when he would do the solo so as nobody could see his fingering so nobody oh, could, really? so nobody could co- copy what he was doing yeah eddie was a very uh, egotistical guy we love him but he had a yeah. very big ego i remember something similar happened with blues legend uh, uh, robert johnson yes yeah he i remember i've i've studied it recently he played uh, facing, not facing the the audience because he really didn't want anyone to see how he played the song so perfectly. So yeah, probably took inspiration. I don't know, many took inspiration from Robert Johnson, Eric Clapton. Uh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without yeah. the blues, there is no rock and roll. Yeah. So without a doubt. Uh, Van Halen's second album that I'm going to discuss here, uh, not Van Halen 2, which was released the following year in 79, but the second album we'll discuss uh, is 1984. Uh, and uh, of course... We played Jump off of uh, 1984 on our first ever broadcast on the main radio station for the 80s. 1984, stylized in Roman numerals as M, C, M, L, X, 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 I, V. It's on the album cover. Is the sixth studio album by American rock band Van Halen, released on January 9th, 1984. It was the last album uh, until A Different Kind of Truth released in 2012 to feature lead singer David Lee Roth, who left the band in 85 following creative differences. That's putting it lightly. Uh, David Lee Roth and uh, Eddie Van Halen did not get along at all. Uh, and unfortunately, this is not meant to be a dig on Roth, but he never really truly learned the proper way to sing. If you hear Van Halen's vocals, uh, you know, he's, he's, he kind of speaks he never really re- learned the professional way to sing, so he damaged his vocal cords uh, significantly, and that was a short-lived career just because he never learned the proper technique behind it. Uh, after 84, uh, of course, Sammy Hagar hit the scene and joined the band, uh, and then that began the Van Hagar era, uh, which continued through the early 1990. Uh, in 1984, and Van Halen uh, debuts albums, are the band's best-selling albums, each having sold more than 10 million copies, which is why I'm not, uh, you know, promoting them here on this broadcast. Uh, and uh, what do you think about Van Halen, Ed? Do you have any opinions uh, besides no, Jump? Do you know any other songs? It's great. Actually, no, and that's a shame for me. <laughs> I'll try to catch up. I'll try to catch up. And, uh, I mean, I didn't know that uh, Van Halen 
put so much effort into singing. I didn't know that he had to learn the craft in, you know, quickly because, of course, of the the problems that uh, that he had with the former band member David Lee Roth. And uh, but you know that even that's that's a bonus for him because, of course, he was already busy playing the guitar in the in that. Uh, magnificent way he played it and uh, he was also busy singing so yeah yeah that's right I mean Eddie Van Halen didn't do a lot of singing Uh, Sammy Hagar would come on the Mm. scene and replace David Lee Roth but David Lee Roth actually never truly learned how to properly sing is what I was saying Uh, is that the first singer you know when he when the band hit the scene in 1978 to your point what you were referencing I'm sure uh, in 1978 when all these guys broke out on the scene, they were novices. You know, these were guys that literally started in their in their garage, and mm. uh, they nobody ever really took them seriously. My friend's father actually was supposed to go see a band in the late seventies, uh, and they were they ran out of tickets. And he at the you know back then there was no internet, so you had to actually go to the actual venue itself if you wanted to go. You know, see bands. You know, they'd advertise in the newspaper, whatever. Or on the radio, and then you'd have to actually go to the venue themselves, go to the go to the box office and say, "Hey, I want tickets for this show at your venue." So it was way different then. Uh, my friend's father always tells me the story. Back in the late seventies, he was a teenager, wanted to go see a band play. They ran out of tickets, and uh, this was late. This was nineteen seventy eight, and uh, the teller at the box office turned around and said, "Hey, listen, there's a new band coming to town. I got ten dollars seats. You want to see them? Oh, what are they called?" Van Halen. So he got to see Van Halen on his on their first really? tour before they were. You know, nobody knew who they were, but little obviously the whole world would know who they would yeah. be in very short time. Uh, but yeah, Van Halen truly one of the most iconic metal bands of the '80s. Got to check out uh, the band itself. Just really quickly talking about the album cover. Uh, 1984 features uh, the ba- a baby with angel wings smoking a cigarette on it. So uh, a very iconic album cover. Uh, you can't miss that. Uh, and just a couple songs, just of my favorites from the band. Uh, like I said, we said Jump we played, Running with the Devil off of Van Halen 1, You're No Good off of Van Halen 2. Uh, and then you getting into the weeds here, uh, Women and Children First off of their, that album in 1983, uh, The Cradle Will Rock. So many great songs by the band, so be sure to check them out. You can't say 80s without Van Halen. So moving on, another well-known band to come out of the metal scene in the 80s was, of course, Rat. Personally, this band has always been one of my favorites of the decade. In fact, I believe they are the quintessential hair metal band. I truly believe they are the peak, they are the epitome of the glam metal genre. In terms of sound, I think the band has the most perfect balance between you know, that glammy, poppier sound... Uh, and also traditional metal, you know, like the heavy guitars. And so it's hard enough that it's going to appease, uh, you know, people who are, you know, into the traditional metal scene. And it's poppy enough that it's going to, you know, it, that it fits the glam label and it, it opens, uh, you know, glam up to uh, more tradition, non-traditional metal listeners, which is kind of what happened. Uh, and with Stephen Piercy on the vocals, guitarist Robin Crosby and Warren DiMartini, bassist Juan Crozier, and drummer Bobby Blotzer, the band presented a formidable force. And they took the world by storm with their debut album titled Out of the Cellar. And in 1984, it was released, and it was an immediate success uh, with wide airplay on the radio and heavy rotation on the uh, brand new MTV at the time. Are especially the major hit "Round and Round." I'm sure you've heard that song. Round yeah. and round. Yeah. Everybody knows yeah. that. Everybody one. knows. Uh, you know, certified triple platinum by the RIAA, and it brought rap rat. You know, from a, a no-name band immediately to the top of the glam metal scene on the West Coast in LA. Uh, and the album cover is truly. Uh, 
uh, I guess, emblematic, I use the word again, of what was to come. And hair metal, like I said, really brought metal into the mainstream poppy culture of the 80s, of the decade. So metal went from being, you know, popular in the 70s, but, you know, it really got so commercialized and was tried to make, tried to brought into the mainstream, you know, for everyday listeners. Uh, um, and also, there was a great sex appeal associated with the genre and the band, um, of course, due to that glamier, poppier sound. Uh, so the first album cover uh, actually features a Playboy, uh, uh, you know, model in a dark alley uh, in a very provocative pose, uh, which would be uh, the, the next album, which we'll discuss. They also follow up with a similar theme. While Out of uh, the Cellar is a great album, like I said, uh, Round and Round is their big hit off of it. And then you have You Want Money or She Wants Money, uh, you know, so there's a lot of good songs off of that album. Um, but the one that I truly think is my favorite by the band and one that gets overlooked sometimes is Invasion Your Privacy, which is the follow-up album to Out of the Cellar. Uh, it didn't receive the critical acclaim that the band's debut did, but it was still certified two times platinum. Uh, the uh, songs off that album, some of my favorites ever by the band, Lay It Down, uh, and then, of course, the self-titled track, Invasion of Your Privacy, uh, but Lay It Down is truly my favorite yeah. rat song ever. We played it, if we I'm play, not wrong. We played yeah. that on, yeah, 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 on, yeah. Uh, on uh, Eat the 80s. 80s. Yeah. A phenomenal album. It's just, once again, I, you can't, no, just like you can't say Van ha 80s without Van Halen, you can't say 80s hair metal without Rat. Uh, you know, mirroring the styling of the first album cover, as I, as I uh, alluded to, you know, it features a dimly lit room with Playboy artist Marianne Gravette posed, posed in an enticing fashion. When I was in high school, I used to rock a T-shirt with that album cover. <laughs> I love the album. What a great, great album. Ed, do you have anything to say about Rat? No, I mean, um, I think it's interesting what you said because you, sp you spoke about two bands, Rat and Van Halen, and both of them... Uh, paid so much attention, not just to the music they played, which was great, but also to the album covers. So I think that's an essential part. And it kind of, maybe it started in the decades before, but the 80s were probably the culmination of this cult for album covers that uh, are became became iconic. As you said, you had uh, them on your, uh, your uh, T-shirts. So that's probably something that's typical, really, of the 80s. Oh, you're totally correct. And I think it has to do with technology. Yeah. Uh, in today's world, everybody's got cell phones, everybody's got Apple Music, iTunes, streaming. You know, So not many people actually buy albums anymore in the traditional yeah. format, like a CD or a record or a tape. I still do because I'm an old school dude. Uh, and I, you know, I guess I live under a rock a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> that's by choice. Um, but you're absolutely correct. The '80s was the culmination, the peak of the of the format of the album, uh, and you know, obviously back then in the early '80s through the mid '80s, really wasn't until the late '80s that the CD really came on the scene. But even then, the CD was still, you know, still a small enough but big enough, you know, format that you could still have album covers. Yeah. But the 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 number one format for listening to music up until that time, up through the mid '80s, was still the vinyl record. And you'd go into record stores back then to buy your albums, and there'd be just rows and rows, lines and lines of albums. And a, a big part of enticing buyers was covers, artwork. Mm. So people would be skimming through, oh, I've never, you know, looking to listen, oh, well, let me buy some new music. And, oh, man, I look look at this album cover, look at this artwork. I love the artwork. All right, yeah. I think it's a cool-looking album. I'm going to buy it, Yeah, literally. it's like the first impression, like when you buy a book, you shouldn't, I mean, 
you shouldn't do that, but you judge a book from the front cover. You shouldn't do that. I mean, as but it happens. Saying, say, but it happens. Yeah, of course. Of course. You're absolutely correct. So the 80s was really the, the peak of the album format. Uh, it's a lost art, in my opinion. And I'm not saying today's artists don't release cool album covers, but just the weight that the, the artwork carries has diminished significantly. Uh, and so we're moving on to the third artist for the metal genre. There's no discussing 1980s metal without the great Ozzy Osbourne. Of course, you were waiting for it. After being kicked out of my favorite band, Black Sabbath, in 1979, he was kicked out for a number of reasons, but mostly because of his excessive indulgence with drugs. I mean, I don't know if there's any anybody in the rock and roll scene who's done more drugs than Ozzy Osbourne. Maybe Keith Richards. Yeah. Uh, maybe Keith Richards. But other than him, I think Ozzy's, Ozzy's the king there. I mean... Uh, and and it's not it's not a good thing. So I'm not I'm not uh, advocating no, for it. <laughs> uh, so after 1979, he was kicked out of the band, and he said, you know what, I'm gonna hit the solo scene. Uh, and he discovered, uh, you know, when he was building this band up, he got lucky, and he was taking you know auditions one day for his lead guitarist, and uh, somebody walked into the studio to audition for Ozzy Osbourne's lead guitarist position, uh, and it was Randy Rhodes, and he offered him the job on the spot. The great Randy Rhodes. Uh, a guitar virtuoso. I mean, it always it seems like the greatest die young. As Billy Joel says, only the good die young. I mean, the guy, you know, was insane. There was no other guitar player of the decade that could rival the greatness of Eddie Van Halen. Randy Rhodes was it. I mean, Randy Rhodes grew up playing classical music on piano and guitar. You know, we're talking Beethoven, Vivaldi, uh, you know, all of the great composers mm -hmm. of the 1700s, 1800s. And he was so influenced by this music that he incorporated that style into his guitar playing which is crazy if you think that classical music can be incorporated to metal i mean at first sight they might seem the two most uh, completely different genres but uh, of course absolutely well, that's part of ozzy's genius and right and randy rhodes is genius as well so randy rhodes really incorporated that style of playing into his guitar into his into his style uh, and, and, you know, once again, revolutionized heavy metal, the melody, the, the sound. Nobody could rival them. And then, of course, joined by Lee Kerslake and Bob Daisley, the group released their debut solo album, Blizzard of Oz, in 1980. It charted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 and number seven in the U.K., uh, featuring Ozzy's, of course, signature vocals, Can't Mistake Them, and Rhodes' classically inspired guitar melodies. The album took the metal scene by complete surprise. In 2017, the album was ranked as the eighth greatest metal album of all time by the Rolling Stone. In my opinion, it's well worthy of that distinction. Uh, the cover features Ozzy dressed in, like, uh, cler clergy-like garb, uh, you know, pretty signature of him. He kind of was out there in his dressing, uh, and he's holding a crucifix. Uh, it's certainly fitting, uh, and it probably alludes to his former role with Black Sabbath. Sabbath, they all would wear, you know, uh, you know, allude to religious Im imagery, and uh, Tony Iommi, the lead guitarist of Black Sabbath, always had a cross around his neck. Uh, and then in 1981, the group followed up their debut with Dire of a Madman. Before we get into Madman, I'll mention a few songs off of Blizzard of Oz. Of course, everybody knows Crazy Train, that is uh, Ozzy's probably most famous song from his solo career. That's off of Blizzard of Oz. Another one is Goodbye to Romance, another great hit. That was a very poppy hit. That was released as a single, I believe. Uh, but following up this great success, uh, they released Dire of a Madman. And unfortunately, in my opinion, this is exactly where Ozzy's solo career peaks. I'm not saying that his later solo albums weren't good. They're still good in their own right. 
You have Zach Wilde on guitar later on in the late 80s, but this is Randy Rhodes' last album before his death in 82. So he came onto the scene, shocked the world, and then faded out just as quickly. Uh, he was killed tragically in a plane crash, and he uh, was not intoxicated on no drugs. He did not drink. He didn't really do any drugs. Uh, he smoked cigarettes, uh, but the man who was driving the plane uh, was uh, on cocaine. Uh, they were driving, flying, I guess, mm. back home uh, after on, on the tour, and he just was not competent and crashed the plane, and they all died. So it was horrible what happened there. Uh, but before his tragic death, Diary of a Madman was released, uh, and songs like Believer, Over the Mountain, and uh, the title track, Diary of a Madman, are immortal classics in the heavy metal genre. You can't get into heavy metal without listening to Ozzy. In 81, the album peaked at number 16 on the U.S. Billboard 214 in the U.K. In the U.S., it has been certified three times platinum with over 3 million copies sold. And just a personal note, I cannot overstate how much these albums changed my life. You know, the effect they had on an 8-year-old boy, you know, sitting in the back of my dad's 1968 Camaro driving down a country road on a cool summer night back in around the year 2008, you know, cannot be put into words. After that, my music taste was forever changed. Ozzy is the guy that got me into rock and roll. Ozzy's the guy who got me, you know, really into uh, the genre. So they'll always have a special place in my heart. Uh, well, it's no secret that metal was a potent genre in the 80s, and perhaps the decade was the peak of the genre's popularity and success. As Bruce Springsteen would say, maybe the 80s were the decade of the glory days of heavy metal. Moving into the popular side of the decade, I'll be passing you the torch to start a discussion about some legendary performers on the softer side of the aisle. You ready, Ed? Yeah, I'm ready, and thank you so much for passing me down the torch, as you said. Uh, as you said, I'm talking about the popular side of the decade, and I'd like to start with an artist that we both know very well, as we saw him a couple of weeks ago live at the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn. I'm talking about Elton John. Incredible. Yeah, incredible, versatile artist that despite the age, because the man is 70, it's good to remember, he still rocks and rolls like in the good old times. Uh, the concert was great, and it varied from the bluesy track I've Mercy on the Criminal that I personally didn't know. I don't know about you later. I didn't know it either. Yeah. It was awesome. Great and surprise. It was, yeah, one of the, the most pleasurable surprises of the evening. And, of course, the classic tunes that everybody sang along to, like your song or Rocketman. However, since we are talking about the 80s, I'd like to highlight the single I'm Still Standing, which he played, composed by Halton himself and his well-known lyricist Bernie Topin. If you've seen the movie Rocketman, you will know about this fruitful artistic relationship between Elton and Bernie. Have you seen it, Lee? I have not. I yeah, have to it's watch great. it. It's great. I mean, now they are trendy because uh, they made it for Freddie Mercury, they made it for Rita Franklin. They will probably make it even for Michael Jackson. So that's the trend for, uh, you know, uh, great musical personalities. Uh, the single was released in July 1983 and was included in the album Too Low for Zero. It's a song about resilience and moving on after a breakup, but I personally interpret it as an answer that Elton wanted to give to all the people questioning whether his career at the top levels was already over. As we've seen, we lake the 80s, so the rise of so many new underground genres. And, uh, but Elton actually showed that he definitely was still standing since the song reached position number four in the UK charts and position number 12 in the US ones. Yeah. Yeah, truly, Ed, I really, I really would be hard-pressed to find an artist uh, that was able to endure success and be, you know, r routinely, you know, 
you know, topping the charts and routinely yeah. making making an impact, yeah. you know, and being being you know influential on the top of his game yeah. than Elton John. Elton John was successful from from the second he broke on the scene in the seventies, nineteen seventy, all the way through. Even this today. year, I mean, you probably don't know her, but uh, this year he released a song with the famous pop star Dua Lipa. You no, I don't know. Who she is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, said before, but I mean, she's very popular, and he also released the Christmas song with uh, Ed Sheeran that uh, reached uh, an the higher position. So he's really a very uh, complete artist that was able to adapt to the different and uh, changing uh, music uh, uh, universe. Um, a fun fact about the video for I'm Still Standing, it was shot in Cannes in France and on that occasion Elton ran into and according to the Chronicles of the Time went heavily drunk with Duran Duran, which is the next group I'd like to talk <laughs> about. Hanging out, no, uh, I can picture that. Hanging out in <laughs> France, the band Duran Duran, hanging out with Elton John, getting bombed. Yeah. Awesome. Certainly <laughs> a good company for sure. Wow. Uh, Duran Duran are an English new wave band formed by lead singer Simon Le Bon, or if you want to say it with a French accent, Simon Le Bon, keyboardist Nick Rhodes, and bassist John Taylor. Further additions included drummer Roger Taylor, which uh, shares the same, who, sa who shares the same name as Queen's drummer, and guitarist Andy Taylor. This is the uh, lineup for their most successful hits. Uh, we spoke about a music video uh, for MC Styling and uh, Lake already spoke about uh, MTV, the parallel rise of MTV together with, of course, the rise of uh, different genres. Uh, we are talking about the so-called video age, a time where the release of a tune went parallel with the release of its music video, which was usually heard on MTV and, uh, of course, gave uh, popularity to the song itself. Um, Duran Duran paid, uh, as I said, uh, a lot of attention to their videos. They were all shot in 35mm films and had therefore a more polished look if you compared them to the standards of the, the time. Absolutely, and I think um, you're totally right to bring up MTV with Duran Duran. We talked about MTV earlier. The 80s was, like you said, the rise of the video era. You know, for the first time, you know, bands, this was really the true completion of the commercialization of music. Yeah. Uh, you know, where artists were not only releasing songs, you know, of course, for artistic ability and, uh, you know, just for, you know, intricacy and, you know, pride in their craft, but also for profit, right? And you had, yeah. like I said, the rise of the television, the rise of, you know, video. Hmm. And that was, you know, like you said, they released songs hand in hand with these music videos. And more emphasis was often put on songwriting, you know, to correlate with mm -hmm. these videos than it was on, on its own. Yeah. And Duran Duran was a band that truly capitalized on 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 that. Uh, Hungry Like the Wolf, Rio, like the Wolf. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, a couple yeah. of names, just a few off the top of my head. And and I think, I mean, what we're talking about, uh, what, we've what we have been discussing so far, uh, presents, I think, an important theme. The fact that the song was important, but it was correlated to so many elements. We've spoken about album covers. Now we are talking about the music videos. So the song was important, but there were so many other elements that were correlated to, to it. Um, I would move on to another English new wave band, which, uh, just like the Duran Duran, were part of the so-called second British invasion of the US, of course, in terms of music, uh, Tear for Fears. Uh, of course, when you talk about Year for Fiesta, you can't not uh, avoid to mention Everybody Wants to Rule the World from the album Songs from the Big Chair. It's a song that goes about uh, the individualistic and greedy human desires of power and controls, 
And uh, throughout the years, it became an, a decade him and gained international success, reaching number one in the US charts. I have actually found a great analysis of the song brought up by Tal Rosenberg from Pitchfork magazine, which notices how the lyrics of the song could be applied to different controversial, sh controversial scenarios even in our days. The environment with the line, turn your back on mother nature, uh, short-lived financial success uh, with the line, help me make the most of freedom and of pleasure, nothing ever lasts forever, and the Cold War that, of course, sadly we are, not the Cold War, but another war we are experiencing sadly in these days, uh, with the line, holding hands while the walls come tumbling down. These are all great lines, however, my favorite line remains the first one, which says, welcome to your life, there's no turning back, which I interpret it as a way of saying, you are in, uh, you don't know how, but you are in, you are living your life, Get try to get the most out of it. Truly, Tears for Fears is an iconic band from the 80s, that's the third time I've used that word, but they truly are. A legendary group, uh, you know, you can't talk new wave without Tears for Fears. Yeah. And like you said, they're part of the second British invasion, right? You had the first one in the in the, in the mid-60s with the Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles. Uh, and then, you know, new wave and the, the turn of the 70s into the 80s, and that was the second one. Uh, and that song, uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, you know, the, the lyrics, of course, like you said, can be yeah, powerful, eerily, powerful. Uh, eerily applied to the, the things we've experienced across the world here in the West with the COVID-19 mm. pandemic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now, of course, on to today, you know, uh, with what's going on overseas in uh, Eastern Europe. So yeah. once again, a great band. Uh, other songs by them, Sowing the Seeds of Love, that's one I, I know mm -hmm, of. Mm -hmm. uh, and so another great, great, great band. So great. And I would conclude talking, coming back to the pop rock context of the time, it's impossible not to mention the Dire Straits, a British band formed in London in 1977, and we recall again the British invasion, by Mark Knopfler, lead vocals and lead guitar, his brother David Knopfler, rhythm guitar and backing vocals, John Hillsley, bass guitar and backing vocals, and uh, Pick Withers, drums and percussions. I'd like to focus on the figure of Mark Knopfler, who is considered the leader of the band, and yet in real life he, was, he has always been described as a very modest and reserved person, very far, far away from the commercial world of the music industry. Truly, 100% yeah. correct. Yeah. Just think about that, that the fact that before the Dire Streets he got a degree in English literature and worked as a teacher, so very far from the stereotype of the rock and roll star, uh, like you spoke about before about Ozzy Osbourne and his crazy, crazy life. I mean, if you think about the rock star, uh, you think about Ozzy Osbourne, Mick Jagger, so drugs, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, as, uh, as, yep, as truly. The, the, the old saying goes. Uh, Mark Knopfler was completely opposite. And actually, so it was a very humble beginning from the frontman of the band who will win four Grammys and will be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, selling over uh, 120 million records, which is a huge, huge number. And I'd like to conclude talking about Walk of Life that we played at the 80s, a joyful rock tune, uh, which is, however, a kind of fish out of the water if we think that it comes from the album Brother in Arms, which is, uh, uh, contrary, a deep record focused on serial thematics such as war. Uh, the title, Work of Life, is the expression that refers to the long journey that storytellers in the past centuries embarked on from town to town, and which is the story more or less told in the, the song, Work of Life.
Absolutely, Ed. Great, great uh, intro to that band. Yeah. I, I think they are truly, like I said, I don't think they are the quintessential party band like no, no, like no, Van no. Halen. But I will say this: I will, and I, I'm not saying you were saying that. But I, I read the reason I bring up that the 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 uh, you know the definition party band because they had one song that is the one of the most awesome and you know iconic. Fourth time mm-hmm. I'm using that word. Party songs. Uh, ever and that is money for nothing yeah and we're talking course. about it's also off of uh walk of life released mm-hmm, in 1985 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we're talking about money mtv yeah that is one of the most iconic music videos of the decade is for money for nothing yeah. that's the fifth time i use the word but that's truly really check it out they, it has to, it, truly it's one of the best ever so if you're into mtv and, and classic music videos money for nothing and you said you referenced to the fact that mark knopfler and knopfler brothers uh you know mark knopfler was a English teacher before he became a rock star and that really shows in the band style and if you listen to their other albums they're from all the way from their their debut album all the way through making movies to of course their big big uh, awesome album uh, 1985 uh, you know like you said brother in arms uh the band's themes like you said heavy themes usually are about political issues but they're also they also have a way of telling a story Mm. and mark Mm -hmm. knopfler being an English teacher, being yeah, you probably know, having a degree up. in, in yeah. English literature, it, it all correlates. And that's one thing that uh, my friend's father always would tell me, uh, just from a personal note, would always say, is that one of his favorite things about Dire Straits is that the band, in all of their songs, it was like it was like storytelling. Yeah. It was like yeah. storytelling. And, in, and that is what truly makes Dire Straits a great band because not only... Uh, is, does Knopfler have the ability to, you know, have literary allusions in, and you know, in his in his uh in his writing, but also just the style and you know, it, it's almost like a folk, a folky feel. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, Dire Straits is truly one of the best bands of in rock and roll history and one of the best of the '80s. Yeah, that's great. Even you know, this blending of folk uh, mixed uh, to rock, I think that's that's really amazing and correct definitely correct absolutely well that pretty much concludes our first broadcast uh in terms of the podcast format of our episode a little different uh usually we're sitting down and playing rock and roll but today it's all talk that's the podcast format so i want to say thank you so much for tuning in to eat the 80s uh podcast edition episode number one listen to us on the uh tune in uh soundcloud uh, and Spotify and Apple Music apps. Uh, they'll be. Well, this is where the this show will be uploaded. Uh, be sure to listen to SFC Radio on the regular through the Radio FX TuneIn app or the SFC Radio website at sfcradio.sfc.edu. And if you're into social media, uh, follow us on Instagram at SFC Radio underscore Ed. What do you? Any final remarks? What do you? What do you have to say uh, about the decade? Oh well, the decade is amazing, and even just speak. Of course, listening to music would be better, but even just speaking about it, it's amazing. And definitely stay tuned because uh, for the next episode we'll have uh, uh, Lakes Half. We can see at the Rock Show uh, we'll have the great Eric, and we will discuss some other uh, great. I think that the next episode we will focus on albums, right? That's right. The next yeah. episode we'll be doing album reviews, uh, and you know, all based on you know opinion ratings uh, of the of a couple similar format to this episode of genres themes uh, from the uh, from the decade. Uh, and uh, and as uh, Ed said, 
Eric Abisov, my co-host on Rock Show, SSC Spot for Rock. If you're a listener there, you definitely know who he is. He will be joining us as a guest uh, uh, interviewee. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We are so glad and grateful that you tuned in. uh, And we will see you next time on Eat the 80s podcast format for episode two. Thank you. Signing off. I'm Lake Green. I'm Eduardo Giribaldi. Ciao. What's up, everybody? This is your man, AP. Welcome to Telesnark, your new hotspot for commentary about television, but with a twist you've never encountered before. This isn't your parents' commentary. Hold your pearls, because they're about to be snatched. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Be sure to tune in on SFC.radio, the TuneIn app, and the Radio FX app.